Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. I'm excited to have Vance Roush, who's the founder and CEO of Overflow and on a mission to inspire the world to give. Overflow unlocks generosity by empowering non-profits, churches and corporations to accept non-cash donations like stocks and crypto with these. A big thanks to Brian Nichols from Angel Squad for the introduction. Welcome to the show, Vance. Thank you so much, Rohit. Uh, pleasure to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, so, so super interesting, you know, because you, you're also a fellow on, uh, on the fellow. And, uh, you know, before we, we talk about, uh, about Overflow, you know, how did you get your start in startups? Ondek was a big part of that journey, for sure. Uh, I discovered a problem and a pain point in a space that I'm really passionate about, which is the church and charitable space, right. but I had never started a tech company before. And so mm-hmm. communities like Ondek were really catalytic because they provide knowledge and they provide community and connections around really understanding how to go from zero to one, right? How to go from concept and idea to actually putting together a pitch deck, to persuading and compelling investors to fund it so that you can have the resources that you need to to get started. And so OnDeck was a big part of that. Village Global, uh, I joined their accelerator program, uh, was also a big part of that journey. So those would be um, a couple of things. I did YC Startup School, just kind of the free YouTube videos online and things like that. And they had kind of like a free guided cohort system that you can join as well. So that was a big part of the journey. So I just try to subscribe to as many of the uh, top communities in the startup ecosystem space as possible and invest my time into to learning about how to how to do it. Mm, got it. And, and how was the experience at Google? Do you think it, it made uh, a difference to work in a big, big company like Google? No, I don't think it did. I appreciated my time at Google. I do think that it was good in terms of my technical uh, experience and understanding how a software company works at scale. So from that standpoint, it's, it's, you know, for what it's worth helpful, just understanding software. But I think a more material and impactful part of the journey to learning how to build a startup was the next job that I had, which was, heading up product at a growth stage startup called Adara. So it was in the travel tech space. I was employee number 20. It was under 2 million in revenue. And I got to see the journey of it going to over 100 million in gross revenue in just a few years. And so that was much more impactful to seeing, okay, this is the actual components of how a startup goes from really small to to bigger. Mm. Got it. And, uh, you, you know, before the call, we, we talked about uh, wipe churches and that's something which is very interesting because you, you're you looking to, uh, to launch in London in the next couple of weeks. But but what was what, what was what is wipe church and how, how do you get involved in, in churches? And just wanted to understand your backstory uh, on what got you involved in nonprofits and charity. Yeah. So aside from my role as founder and CEO of Overflow, I am an executive pastor at a church called Vibe Church, uh, which my wife and I um, are both co-founders of alongside our lead pastors, Adam and Kira Smolkum. 
Um, And so we started that. It's kind of like another startup story. We started that with seven people in a living room back in 2012. And so, yeah, now we have over 4,000 members across 10 locations um, around the world. Our 11th location, like you said, being in London. And so uh, really, you know, my wife and I, we met in a Christian church up in Seattle um, while we were in college. And because we met in that context, we were really passionate about continuing to be involved in the local church um, as a form of serving our community, uh, even post getting married right after college. And so when we moved from Seattle down to the Bay Area, we realized there actually wasn't a lot of churches that were young in nature, that were innovative, that had a really big vision to impact the world. And so when we met our lead pastors and some of our best friends, Adam and Kira, and they had this vision for creating one in the Silicon Valley, we signed up for it and uh, never looked back. And so the past 10 years has been scaling a church from seven people in a living room to, like I said, over 4,000 members across 10 locations and a couple of them permanent locations in both Mountain View and San Jose, specifically the Mountain View location. It's actually been below my office right now. It's on a $32 million property across the street from Google. Um, And so really the reason why I started Overflow is because I sat in the seat of like CFO essentially for our church. Mm. And I saw all the complications with ticking in donations and Uh, trying to increase the amount of donations. Um, And I had this revelation that actually most people's wealth is, especially in the Silicon Valley, in their stock portfolios, in their equity grants. And even now today, right? Some people are into crypto. But our church in 2018, 19 was not equipped to be able to receive those type of donations at scale. And so... I saw that as a problem for our church and I started to realize this is a problem for other churches and charitable organizations across America. And so I decided to create a platform to make it super easy for people to give anything to the organizations that they care about. Mm. If you can make it super easy for somebody to give Google stock, Facebook stock, Tesla stock, if you can make it super easy for somebody to give Bitcoin, if you can make it really easy for somebody to give an ETF or from their IRA or 401k, you can actually unlock unprecedented amounts of generosity. And so I understood that uh, by essentially being the customer Mm -hmm. (laughs) and trying to solve my own pain point and then realizing, oh, um, this is actually a a, a market that I think I want to serve. Got it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll talk with Overflow, but uh, interestingly, you you run Wipe Church, but how do you... Take it from seven people to four thousand members. Um, what was? Uh, did you do law of PR or was it all word of mouth marketing for you? It was a combination of things. Uh, I would say that one, and you'll ask me this later uh, about the books, but I'll kind of uh, give the punchline <laughs> ahead of time. One of my favorite books in business is Zero to One. Right, Peter Thiel, zero to one. And there's this idea that competition erodes margins to zero. Mm. And so if you're looking to start a business, it's advantageous to find a a monopoly opportunity. Because if Mm. you can find a monopoly opportunity, that's actually where margins are. 
Mm. Right. Um, and so if that means you have to go niche, it's actually better to go niche and to own a category and to land and expand from there rather than trying to compete with so many different competitors out of the gate. Right. Mm. In a similar way, um, using that as an analogy for our journey as a church, we realized there was a gaping hole in the church market um, in terms of people that might be interested in growing in their Christian faith, specifically around the tech millennial. There wasn't really a church that appealed to the tech millennial, right? So if 10 years ago you visited a church in the Bay Area, um, the way in which they would do the worship experience, the way in which uh, they would um, do the sermon, the way in which they greeted people and followed up with people wasn't in a way that a tech millennial would resonate with. Right. Mm, and so, you know, the best way to uh, know how to appeal to tech millennials is to be one yourself. (laughs) And that's what the founding team essentially was, right. We were tech millennials with a passion for ministry. And so combining those things together, we felt like we were able to create a product that was distinct in the market. If that makes sense. I think one element of our quote unquote success has been being able to find product market fit with our target. Yeah. In addition to that, yeah, there were certain um, catalytic things that definitely helped. We did a pretty audacious billboard campaign, Mm. invested like, you know, significant amounts of money uh, on a billboard campaign that said not religious question mark. Neither are we. And it was kind of this uh, extension of a conversation that we would have with people when we invited people to the church. We'd say, hey, we're starting a church. We would love for you to come. And in the Bay Area specifically, it's a very non-religious area. Mm. And so what they would say is, oh, that's cool for you, but I'm not religious. Mm. And our natural response was like, oh, yeah, neither are we. (laughs) As As a disarming mechanism, trying to let them know that we want to break their preconceived notions of church Mm. as this staunchy judgmental religious institution and more of an invitational welcoming environment where we're wanting to pursue genuine relationship and community Mm. right and that tone resonated in one-on-one conversation so we just took that one-on-one conversation and we put it on a billboard Mm. And it really resonated with people, right? Right. Um, Especially with kind of our core target market of tech millennial. Mm. So that was, um, I think, big. And then I think just the discipline of improving the product week over week, the product, which is the community and the worship experience. Yeah. um, And being very diligent about follow-up, right? Again, (laughs) you you, you take this analogy and you put it back in the business realm. um, It's about product improvement and retention (laughs) at the end of the day, these principles are transferable. And I think we've just been committed to continuing to listen to our customers, um, not just to do what they want, but to lead them where we think they need, uh, as well as being very diligent about closing the back door. As we talk about within the church context is like, cool. We did billboards. We opened up the front door, customer acquisition, member acquisition. Right. But then are we finding ways where they can get fully connected into the community so they don't just slip out the back door? 
Mm, okay. Right. And nice. so we talk about this, um, this grip mentality, right? So if I'm holding my mic, if I just hold it with two fingers, right, I have a pretty loose grip. Mm. But if I can increase the grip to all five fingers, then I have a, a lot bigger hold on the community. Mm. And so what are, what are these fingers? This is enjoying Sunday, getting in a small group, meeting seven of your friends and serving on a Sunday. Now you're pretty locked in, right? And so how we got from seven to 4,000, it's really, yeah, just continuing to make sure that our product experience, our worship experience is, is really good. Right. Um, and then also figuring out ways to retain members through getting them connected in at a deeper level. Mm, so, no, I think that's super interesting because I'm a millionaire myself and uh, I believe in spirituality and, you know, some, uh, and somehow believe that I'm not religious, but, but where do you think millennials and Gen Z's, what's their viewpoint about churches and about, uh, you know, about going to church uh, on Sundays and about religion? Do you think it's vastly different from, from a parents uh, of boomers or Gen Xers? I think millennial, younger millennials and Gen Z's mentality about spirituality and seeking uh, deeper meaning has never been higher. Okay. I think younger millennials and Gen Z's perspective of the institution of church is not great, right? So I do think, for example, the Christian church at large, one advantage they have is that um, I believe that we're all created as spiritual beings. Right. So um, in terms of like the core desire of somebody wanting the church's product is actually innate to human beings. It's a, mm. I would say it's on the same level, if not greater than us loving Amazon because it delivers things faster and cheaper <laughs> or us desiring Apple because it makes things simple and beautiful. Right. I would say that connecting to a deeper purpose in life, connecting to a higher being is so innate to our human spirit that ultimately the church has a real opportunity to fill that gap in that void in somebody's life. I think the biggest hindrance, though, to the church is um, if a Gen Z walks by a cathedral on the corner of their street, I think the perception of that on average is net neutral or net negative, not net, net positive. Mm. Right. Okay. I think the, the, the initial perception of that cathedral in the corner of the street is that's probably empty on a Sunday and that place is full of judgment. And that place is going to be a place where the message is super uh, not relevant and confusing. Mm. Right. 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 And so I think that's, that's the, that the the institutional part is the challenge, not the actual core need part is what I would say. Mm. Got it. And and I want to talk about um, overflow, you know, it looks like a a big opportunity. uh, There's, you know, half a trillion dollar being donated to nonprofit uh, companies, but uh, how does overflow help uh, individuals to, to donate, uh, 
uh, you know, the, some of the risky assets, even stock donations, uh, how do you make it easier for people to do so? Yeah, so without overflow, for example, to give 10 shares of Tesla, it would require you to go to your brokerage website, find a form, download it, print it out, fill it out physically of the type of shares that you want to give and the information of the nonprofits receiving brokerage account. And then literally today, literally today without overflow to take all of that that you filled out and fax it in. Um, And then on the nonprofit side, they would receive it. They wouldn't know that Rohit sent it. So they would have to figure out, okay, who just sent this 10 shares of Tesla, Right. right? And then be able to to manually reconcile it in their accounting books, as well as generate a charitable acknowledgement letter for tax purposes so that you can take a deduction. Right. Right. So everything that I just explained, we automate through technology Mm. and through an application layer that basically streamlines and automates everything of what I just said into a beautiful experience and as easy as Venmo. Okay. Okay. Got it. And, and so, so effectively, have you partnered up with marketplaces like uh, Robin Hoods? Uh, and on the other hand, have you, you know, partnered up with all their uh, charitable organizations uh, in the US? That's, that's, that's what they're trying, trying to do. In the product side. Yeah. We have direct integrations kind of like plaid with uh, connecting via ACH, right? Okay. We have direct connections into the brokerage accounts. Okay. Um, in terms of the go-to-market side, we sell directly to the churches and charitable organizations. Okay. Right? And so, you know, think you know X Y Z mega church in America, and think um, big nonprofits like American Cancer Society, Meals on Wheels, and even foundations like the Golden State Warriors Foundation. Those are examples of our customers. Got it. And. Um, again, you know, I, I want to talk about how how did you you know get your first thousand customers or uh, you know your first uh, ten thousand customers? Or what did it take for you? Is it was it uh, you know getting more from onboarding these churches uh, on board? Yeah, so we're not at a thousand yet. Um, we're looking forward to getting there soon. We're at just under five hundred. Uh, organizations so far that have onboarded with Overflow and that have us on their website, on their giving page, and promote us to their donors. Okay. Right. Uh, the way that we've gotten to just under 500 so far um, is a combination of things. But what I would say is the top two channels is partnerships. So okay. partnering with different networks and different denominations and different associations has been our best strategy that's worked so far. And then connected to that is word of mouth, right? Mm. Is just continuing to serve our customers really, really well, serve our partnerships really, really well, and people referring us um, to their friends. Mm, Got it. And uh, especially, you know, if you're talk about... um, the the growth aspect uh, of the startup, you know, what what are some of the specific ways in which the growth in the product teams can look at uh, yeah, increasing the speed uh, with which they they uh, you know which they fail uh, to uh, you know either launch a product or 
to do an experiment yeah i mean everything really comes down to the team that you've recruited and that you're creating and that right. you're building right i think that especially in the seat of ceo specifically a lot of your job is making sure that there's enough money in the bank and making sure that your team is unblocked to be able to do the work that they need to do to serve the customers, right? Right. A CEO is like a huge dot connector. And so I think a lot of our success in terms of product velocity is my ability to dig into, okay, where are things slowing down? Oh, is it that my product team is not connected to my customers close enough? And that's why we don't get the product requirements correct. Is it that we don't have enough engineers to be able to hit a deadline um, in terms of a product build that we want in the market because we've already sold it to a customer? Um, is it because there is just not a, a good communication infrastructure internally um, and, and cadence to be able to elevate uh, you know, the blockers and um, the dependencies? So do we need to implement something like Jira um, and have some sort of like weekly product engineering demo call and things like that? And so I do believe that a lot of my job is making sure that we have the infrastructure and the environment so that we can move quickly uh, in terms of responsiveness to customers and product build cycles and, and things of that nature. And especially when it comes to the growth aspect, uh, how do you how do you set the right goals for your for your product and growth teams? So we do OKRs, okay. and so I always try to settle on every six month basis a north star metric, right? Yeah, okay. a north star metric that the whole company can rally around. That north star metric is broken up into three objectives which are then broken up into three uh, key results for each objective. And everybody within the company, we're a pretty lean team, um, you know, 24 employees. Okay. All 24 employees should be rolling up into at least one of the KIRs for their two personal goals that they have. And so that's how we do goal setting at Overflow. And, and, and where do you see, you know, group? teams go wrong with the North Star that they are set for themselves, uh, uh, especially when it comes to, uh, interestingly, you point about aligning them with their personal goals, but have you seen in, in the past where they've gone wrong with the North Star metrics? Like a specific function or just in general, the, the team? Um, yeah, especially the the product and the growth teams when they're trying to increase the number of uh, you know, partnerships. Oh, yeah. Actually, this is something that we're learning in real time is uh, not over-indexing the way in which we write the goals towards outcomes, right. but rather in inputs. So a lot of times where our OKRs have been largely uh, outcomes-based OKRs, uh, we not only miss it, but then it's harder to delineate why we missed it, mm -hmm. right? Um, if you can have it more geared towards input-based and have high conviction of those inputs impacting outputs, mm -hmm. then you're closer to, number one, controlling your destiny, and number two, figuring out 
if at the end of the day, that was the right input or not. Mm. Right. And so that's a big learning that we've learned in the past three years that we continue to get a little bit better at. Mm. And, and Vance, uh, especially when, uh, you know, when it comes to decision-making, um, how do you, how do you analyze your decision-making framework, especially since, uh, you know, you, you've gone from, uh, you know, pre to, to series A stage right now? What I'm learning over time is that it's really important to make quick decisions. And it's really important to make decisions that reduce distraction, especially for my personality type. I love shiny new things, <laughs> but I've learned that what, what wins is maniacal focus and making sure that you can be really good at a few things before you try to be very good at many things. Right. And so a lot of my decision-making recently especially with like the economic environment that we're in right now. Um, it's actually even more incentive for companies to have maniacal focus because they don't have the margin that they once had to be able to experiment with a handful of things. They mm -hmm. really need to hit the, the one or the maybe couple things that they're aiming to hit if they're going to find, if they're going to find explosive success in it. Right. No. And so a lot of the decision-making that I'm growing in right now lends to reducing distraction as much as possible as, as fast as I can. Right. And, and you, know, you made an interesting point about, about the economic times these days, but do you think pe people are donating more during this time or, the, or their donations have gone way too less? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I think for the first time in a while, it's flattened a little yeah. bit um, on a macro standpoint in terms of how that impacts our business. Not really because we're so early stage yeah. and literally what we talked about earlier is it's $500 billion worth of donatable assets that are given every single year. What overflow represents is capturing a lot of that because we can save on fees for a lot of those donatable assets, we've innovated in being able to save people on payment processing fees with their donations. And a lot of the stock and crypto giving that we're unlocking is actually net new for organizations. So we're actually um, helping grow the $500 billion pie. Because we play in like the net new donation space or the capturing current donations and maximizing every dollar because we reduce payments, because we play in those two spaces, were not greatly impacted by the swing in if macro donations are going up or down because um, we still got a lot of room to grow within the current 500 billion. And obviously there's infinite room to grow or not infinite. There's, there's a lot of upside to grow in terms of growing that pie further. Mm. And especially when it comes to risky assets, like, you know, cryptocurrencies, um, do, do you find uh the younger uh or uh, you know uh, members in 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 the uh uh in in your community are donating more or is it more um older uh uh audience or i would say the older community uh making those donations especially when it comes to risky assets like cryptocurrencies and um, i don't know if angel investments well crypto right is a young person's game. 
So 90% of crypto holders are millennials and Gen Z. And so as a function of that, most crypto givers are going to be young, younger people, right? The discrepancy is that most givers in general that are giving large amounts are actually boomers still. But that's why I tell organizations that they're one generation away from not having the resources that they need to fulfill their mission and their vision. Because if they are not engaging the next generation in the ways in which the next generation wants to give or in the ways in which the, that generation has wealth, they're going to fundamentally miss out. And so that's why we believe overflow is, is so important for the charitable giving space. Got it. And, um, and I was just you know, wondering, what's, what's the single biggest mistake founders usually make when they're trying to search for product market fit? Being uh, too obsessed with their solution yeah. and not obsessed enough with the problem. So the deeper you know a problem, the deeper you go into the pain point. As a byproduct, naturally, you'll probably have the best solution, right? And so especially if you're like a product manager, if you're a product designer, a lot of times you can get like so obsessed with how it looks and, you know, how it feels and, you know, uh, and you could be solving um, or you'd be creating solutions that don't even solve the problem, right? Some of the, so here's an example, build.com is a massive company, but it's one of the ugliest products I've ever seen, right? right? But they knew how to solve a problem and they knew how to get distribution. Right. Um, and so I think the the focus is more on like getting so embedded with the pain point of the problem knowing how to solve that effectively and then figuring out really quickly how to get distribution with it. Mm. Um, I would actually say product market fit is talked about way more than product distribution fit where yeah. probably both of them need to be talked about equally. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, um, and especially, you know, when it comes to messaging, you know, uh, what's the most important element of messaging when it comes to, uh, product market fit. Being really clear on who your customer is. Right. Um, I'm actually a big fan. Again, zero to one, Peter Thiel, uh, really dominating a niche first because that's part of a competitive advantage. And so one of our primary customer sets is churches, yeah. right? And having a pretty big focus on that gives us a huge advantage because our platform can be relevant for a lot of different other nonprofit categories like human services, healthcare, and things like that. But if we had to create messaging for like five, six, seven different categories, it dilutes our focus. Hmm. And so I think really clarifying the niche you want to win first and then adding from there after you figured out how to win a category is currently the approach we're taking. Okay, got it. And um, and and what's the what's the worst decision that you you've made when you're looking at scaling your business? Uh, and does you know such sort of mistakes change your mindset? Yeah, paying for PR, a PR team. Okay. okay. Um, maybe like when you're a growth stage, that's helpful. We did it at a pretty early stage, um, with the advice of some people on our cap table, and it didn't really yield much. 
And so that was a good learning. Um, obviously, every dollar is precious. So you want to learn these things and make sure that you uh, you allocate appropriately for the future. Um, and, you know, it was a bet. Not every bet pans out, but that is one bet that didn't pan out that I specifically remember that, you know, um, has informed the way that I operate in the future. Mm. Yeah, so these PR firms, the way it works is like, you know, you pay a retainer and they they say they're going to reach out to all these uh, media outlets. Yeah. Uh, and the idea is that you're going to get all this earned media and that's going to translate into to leads and close one bookings and things of that nature. But if the PR agency is not able to get those earned media spots, then, <laughs> you know, it's a uh, minimal value, right? And the earned media spots that they win, if they don't have the prominence or the eyeballs on them, then again, it's minimal value to your business. Mm. Interesting. And, uh, you know, before the call, I did uh, mention, uh, we talked about that you also run a podcast called the Give It Up Podcast. Just want to give a, uh, give a shout out to to your podcast. What's, who's who's your, yeah, it's on YouTube, people can can see that but who's the who's the audience and who uh who are the guests who come on the part yeah our audience is primarily uh church leaders uh pastors executive pastors cfos decision makers on the executive teams of these churches and we really aim to bridge the gap between technology innovation and the church right um specifically with a finance and generosity bent and mm. so our whole goal is to bring a fresh perspective on how the local church can harness technology and innovation um, and also increase uh, giving and generosity within their community mm. so that they can accelerate their mission and vision. At the end of the day, when somebody starts a church, grows a church, or even a charitable organization, uh, they're in it for a really noble cause, right? Mm. They want to serve a community they want to serve people, uh, but a lot of times, you know, the mindset is not on the business aspect of what it takes to run uh, and fund uh, a church or charitable organization. And we want to help demystify a lot of those things and create a conversation where people can pick up best practices so that they can maximize their success. Hmm. Very interesting. And uh, you know, I quickly want to the top three. What's your favorite business book? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so like I said, zero to one, Peter Thiel can't recommend that enough. Um, there is this other book by, I believe, Stephen Presley, uh, War of Art, which okay. uh, yeah. really just talks about mindset and disciplines um, in terms of creating. Right. I really enjoyed that book. It's kind of like this book around having you know, we call it internally here at Overflow Mamba mentality, mm. that kind of Kobe Bryant type approach <laughs> yeah. to uh, your work, your craft and things like that. I do think that was a very empowering book as well. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of meant to say this because I'm also a pastor, but I do find a lot of business principles or really timeless life principles in the Bible that I apply to business right. that ultimately I believe um, create sustainable uh, business, um, which is what we're aiming to to build. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I think all, all, all of them are great books. And 
we'll put that in the show notes. And you know, if you could go back in time when you started uh, working on overflow, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? If I were to do it again, I would be more selective with my first hundred customers. Oh, okay. I think when you're starting out, you're just hungry. Like anybody use my product, right? Yeah. And then you start realizing, oh, not every customer is created equal. Yeah. Even if they want to give you money, because especially in the early days when you have limited resources, you're really trying to find the best customers for you in that season so that you can map value to them quickly and create that flywheel faster where mm. word of mouth starts happening quicker, right? Mm. And you get to, to time to value faster. And so we feel like we've gotten there now, but you know, if I knew what I knew now, then that's probably more of a mentality I would have had in the earliest days. Very interesting. And uh, what's your favorite online tool, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Um, I probably use Slack the most out of those type of tools. Yeah. I would say another delightful product that I've liked is Loom. Loom, yeah. I think Loom has really made, made uh, async video very delightful. Mm. So uh, I appreciate them. Got it. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And Brands, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Overflow and White Church? Our website for both is overflow.co. Not .com because that costs like 600K, <laughs> but overflow.co. And then Vibe Church is vibechurch.org. Um, you can search my name, Vance Roush, V-A-N-C-E-R-O-U-S-H, on any of the social platforms, Instagram. What is it called? X now? X or LinkedIn. Yeah. And that's the best way to reach out to me. Got it. We'll put it on the show notes. Uh, Vance, thanks a lot for, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it uh, and enjoyed speaking with you. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.